This series that Josh and I have been doing of five messages on formation, I, I had some thoughts about this before Christmas that I talked with Josh about, and so pretty much what we're doing is very close to what we talked about, the topics that we laid out. Now, I can think of, as we've done this, some more things that I would like to add to this. Probably won't at this point because we have the preaching schedule for the next several weeks. One of those topics is that I feel we should have added is, is formed by suffering. I think that being formed by suffering is something that we don't... So again, in, in our discipleship, we go through church attendance, Bible reading, prayer, friends, so forth. We typically don't have a section on suffering, and yet suffering forms us in so many different ways. And, but there's so many topics that we could add. I do want to say the next two weeks are not attached to this, but they are an application of our spiritual formation messages. Next week, we do have a big announcement to make, okay? And I'm not like, I'm not like um, just leading you on with that. It is genuinely a big announcement, and it is going to be something that will affect us for the next several months in a positive way. So please be here next week. But those next two messages are going to be applications of this spiritual formation. The one that I'm doing today, we've, we've done the Word, we're formed by the Word, we're formed by prayer, we're formed by community, we're formed by conscience. And today, I want to talk again about Sabbath rest. Now, I started by saying we had this laid out before Christmas, because then on January 26th, I preached a lengthy message on Sabbath rest that I'm not re-preaching today that will contain some information that would be good if you didn't hear it to listen to. In that message, I mentioned the fact that for many people, they had never sat through a message on Sabbath rest. They had never heard it, and that I myself had never preached a message on Sabbath rest, and yet how vital that is to our lives and to the scriptures and so forth. The title of the message that I have today is Formed by Resistance. Now, formation by its very nature is resistance. I mean, formation involves pressing, it involves molding, it involves changing the complexity of something to what it, it, it will be. Resistance is pressing against If you are to practice Sabbath rest, you will have to resist the current culture. You will have to press against some things that are currently forming you that you don't even realize are forming you. And so the title of this message is Formed by Resistance. I have three points to this message. Number one is really the biblical principles of Sabbath rest. Number two, I want to talk practically about how our work has changed. There's nothing in there about uh, pulling a verse here and pulling a verse there, but it's just a good place to talk about how our work has changed. And then the third point this morning is that if you are to practice this, you are going to have to work at resting. I think one of the things that we're doing and, and one of the reasons that we had decided to come back to this is it's not a once-and-done message. It literally will take some of us 10 years to practice this the way that we feel we should practice this. It's that hard. It's, it's, that, 
it's that not normal to how we operate. And if we are to incorporate this principle into our lives, it's going to take time. It's going to mean failing and picking ourselves up and saying, I've got to retry this. It's going to mean revisiting this. So I preach a message in January. We'd planned to come back to it six months later, which is what we're doing. But in between that time, we had this huge time where we had even said, and others have said, it's almost like the world was put on Sabbath rest. Now, I know you may not feel like that because you were busy and there's mental fatigue and there's lots of things and other people had busier. I mean, I understand that, but, but there was a time of stopping and doing something different that I think has caused us to think more deeply and hopefully will make what we talk about today in some ways more meaningful. When we talk about Sabbath rest, we are not talking about reinvigorating a legalistic principle. We're not talking about bringing back the Jewish concept of Sabbath rest that we'll talk about in just a moment that was fulfilled when Christ rose and we celebrate on the first day of the week, Sunday. We're not talking about bringing back the Saturday, sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, the Jewish Sabbath rest day in a legalistic fashion. We are talking about the principle that is still operational that is primarily not for our health and for our peace of mind, but it is so that, here's the objective, it is so that we can love God well and thus love others well. That's what the purpose is, so that we can fulfill what Jesus said is the greatest commandments, to love God and to love others well, and having space to form a life to be able to do that. That's what we're talking about. I wanted to read Exodus 31. I appreciate the scripture readings we've already done, but to give you a little bit of the context in the Bible of where the subject is addressed and how it's addressed. Now, Exodus 31, you're going to see this is is serious, okay? Exodus 31, the Lord said to Moses, verse 12, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, You shall keep my Sabbaths. Now, I think that's interesting. God's placing a premium for them on doing this, above all. This is a sign between you and me throughout your generations. In January, I talked about the specific ways this was a sign for Jewish people that God was teaching them. We are drawing this into a New Testament age that that principle is still applicable, though the signs to Jewish people are different. This is a sign that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you or separate you apart. Verse 14, you shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Now, stop right there. When I preached on this before, one of the things that came out is some of you remember the days where the Sabbath rest principle was talked about, and it was not something that children enjoyed at all. So it was applied this way. It's Sunday. We're doing nothing. You're going to take a nap, or you're not going to sit there and have any fun. You've got to just be still. No playing, no nothing, no ball, no whatever. And so it's just kind of like, ah, you know, I don't want to do this. This principle of Sabbath rest is not a principle that is merely 
doing nothing, okay? There's things that actually God wants to teach, and he's trying to teach them in these ways. Verse 14, you shall keep the Sabbath, it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Wow, 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 wow. I mean, that's hard for you to even imagine. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh, he's using creation language there, is a Sabbath of solemn rest. Note those words. I think, again, sometimes people get in their minds, what's a day to nap? Well, it could be. But solemn rest is different than God just saying, this is the day for you to kind of catch up. This is a day for you to just kind of chill. When he talks about solemn rest, he says then, to qualify this, it is holy to the Lord. One of the things we're going to get into with the principle of Sabbath rest is that for most of us, we use the one day we have off to do a whole nother list of things. And, and some of those things, this isn't getting into judging what we do and not do on the Sabbath, because in the New Testament, it tells us not to do that. But for some of us, that day becomes a day that is anxious with the other things we have to do. And we have to remember that the principle that God was teaching them is that this day is, is different than the rest of the days. It is solemn rest, and it is holy to the Lord. So there is a Godward focus to this that brings me back to my original intent that we need to learn to love God and love others well and have space in our weekly schedule to cultivate that. So he says in verse 15, the second part, whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. Again, creation language. And on the seventh day he rested, note this, and he was refreshed. Now that alone is just a statement pregnant with thought about God who is infinite in energy, infinite in knowledge, infinite in power, infinite where he doesn't need anything. He is not subsisting because of something. He's not drawing on the energy force of the universe in order to keep going. He is completely satisfied in himself, and yet he was refreshed. This is serious language. Let's talk first of all about the Sabbath rest principle. As was mentioned already and pointed out, that creation language is used when this is talked about. So he's not just simply putting something in there that Jewish people were to have additional to everything else. When God talks about this in the Old Testament, he goes back to creation, back to creation. So what we see from that is that this principle, even before the Jewish nation, this principle is woven into the fabric of creation universe language. Genesis chapter 2, if you'd care to turn there, these very famous verses Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, 
And on the seventh day, from all his work that he had done, he rested. So, verse 3, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Now, if you look back in creation language at the things that God blesses, this is particularly given about the seventh day. And God participated in it. He didn't just tell Adam and Eve to do it. He participated in it. He rested from all his work that he had done in creation. When we talk about Sabbath rest, just to review this very briefly, what we're talking about is a 24-hour time period where you practice these two things. Number one, you stop and rest. Number two, you delight in worship. Because we believe those were the principles from what God was doing. What was God doing? What was refreshing the heart of God? He stopped, he ceased from what he normally did. He stopped and he rested, and then he delighted and he worshipped. He wasn't just unplugging from the world, taking a very long nap, and he kind of gets up. I pointed this out in January as well. It's interesting to me that Adam and Eve were created on the sixth day, and the very first thing they do together in days is to rest. (laughs) Now you think, if there's anybody who's ready for a challenge, ready for work, it's two perfect human beings, and yet the first thing following their creation is their resting. This is an interesting principle because in our minds, we work to rest. In God's creation design, we work from our rest. It's a mind shift. I mean, many of us, we are working, hauling, 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 hauling to drag ourselves into the weekend to hopefully get a few moments to ourselves. Where in God's economy, we work from our rest. This is very important. God rested not from exhaustion, but as celebration. God rested not from exhaustion, but as celebration. He stopped and he rested. He delighted and he worshipped. Let me ask a few questions here to move forward. What would you need to do to stop from what you normally do? Now, I'm tempted to put a bunch of qualifiers on here, but as we talked about before, and in the Wednesday nights that Eric and I did a few months ago where we talked there were some additional things. This is, a, this is a topic that unfolds a lot of other topics because some, some moms, when we talk about this, are like, well, how, you know, I can't just get rid of kids. You know, I don't know what to do. And so there's, there's ways and there's people who talk about these things. But let me just address the big ticket questions. What do you need to do? What do you need to do, teenager or college student, to stop from what you normally do. Now, let me ask this question as well and go a little bit deeper. Because I think some of us, when we leave the office, we stop, you know, from, from that. We don't go and say, well, I don't go into the office or I don't go into school. But here's another question. What do you need to do? And this is a much more complicated, sticky question. What do you need to do to stop 
your mind from thinking even though you may have stopped your actual physical activity. This is a big thing because many of us, we, we unplug from work physically, but mentally our brain is still like it's stepping on the gas with this problem and that problem, this person, that person, and this unanswered email and that phone call and this problem. And so our work physically or being at the office has stopped it. In our brain, we are still pressing hard on the gas, even harder on the gas, because when we come back into work, we don't want to be dumped on, and so we work on the problem all the time. Folks, we have to recognize that we can be away from the office, but still working all the time. I don't think I need to preach that. We understand that. I also want us to think about this. Can you think about your paid work and your unpaid work. So there's work you get paid to do, but then you've got this other work that's still nonetheless work. It's, it's mowing the lawn. It's trimming the bushes. It is buying the groceries. It's the lists that we have. That's work that we have. And I think we have to think to ourselves, because for many of us in the current culture, the one day we have, or one and a half days we have, One of those is the list day. And so the idea of actually stopping for a 24-hour period and being away from that is literally impossible. And so we, we generally, and listen, I'm not preaching this to you because I am doing it regularly. I'm not. I said this before. I began my journey on this a year ago. And when it was brought up to me, I literally said, there's no way I can do that. I literally said that. I said what I, I said what some of you are saying in your head right now to me. I said, there's literally no way. And I had a ton of legitimate objections as to why that couldn't happen. And this is one of the benefits of going to a Christian counselor who isn't in your church. He can kind of look at you and say, if you continue in that trajectory, you're in trouble. Because I can walk out of the office and be just totally ticked at him and not have to see him on Sunday. But can I say to you, if you continue with some of those arguments that I had, you're going to be in trouble. And some of you are in trouble. Because between your paid and your unpaid work, you never stop. And here's the tough part. For most of us, we believe that was a virtue. We actually thought we were being productive to get all that stuff done. And if somebody talked to us about stopping, it was almost like that person wasn't plugged into reality. The other side of this is the delighting and worshiping. I think we understand, we've talked enough about this. This is a worship service. But this isn't, this isn't, this isn't, okay, let's worship, and then you live. You go live your life. The passage I preached on, the passage Tim Berry preached on, the passage that many of us have committed to heart, our reasonable worship is when we, by the mercies of God, give our bodies to God for His service, and that doesn't happen when we step onto this property. That happens all week long. Your reasonable service all week long 
is to live a worshipful life. And you know what some of us are living? We are living some very truncated, crippled worship lives because if we are not stopping and resting, we are, we are not engaging in the soul activity of delighting and worshiping. Do you know one of the surest signs that we're being pulled away from this is when we cannot stop and appreciate simple things. We really don't have time to stop and notice outside of our house. This is going to sound, and I feel dumb saying it. Hopefully I get to a point in my life where I won't seem as dumb saying it. We, we literally cannot, we have no time to stop and look at a bird in a tree and think about that. You know how a little kid, they, they get a caterpillar on their finger and they're just sitting there watching the caterpillar on their finger? Now, I'm not suggesting you do this. But I, I have never in my adult life seen a, an adult standing there looking at a caterpillar on the finger. You know why? We don't have time for that. Good grief. Who's, if I saw you outside looking at a caterpillar on your finger, I'd think, that guy's wasting his life. He's lazy, man. You've got to be doing something instead of looking at that. We have no time to appreciate simple things. And yet, Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. You say, well, I put up a picture on Instagram of a sunset. I appreciate God's creation. You know, there's some things that come to us that are so obvious, like a big, huge, magnanimous sunset that it's like, whoa! You know, and it's like, hashtag no filter. But that's like, you know, that's like smacking us in the face with God's creation. What about the delighting, delighting and worshiping? I have to mention this because it's, it still blows my mind. And it's going to be one of those things where it's like, I know for some of you, like he gets a mind blown on, on things that, that I don't understand. That I've talked with you about the importance of walking, okay? I even thought of putting together like a thing, you know, Enoch walked with God. What did Jesus do? Jesus walked. And so I love going on a walk. I love going on a walk with people. If, you go, if you're with me and you go on a walk, I guarantee you, you will talk more if you go on a walk with me. For whatever reason, men talk more when they go on a walk and they're looking ahead rather than sitting looking at each other. And yet it feels awkward. It feels awkward. I had a man go on a walk with me and he said, I just wouldn't, I don't know if I'd ask somebody to do this. It feels weird. I said, I know. Last week, there was a book that came across, a brand new book. I think I found out about it on the day it came out called Walking with God. And a guy wrote a book about the value of walking out your faith. I said, are you kidding me? <laughs> it's a whole book on that. The reason that's so big to me is because I didn't have time to do that. I didn't have time to notice other things. It was the next project, the next person, the next this, the next that. And yet, I was leading people in worship. You have to have time to worship and delight. I want to say again, this is not to turn this into a legalistic observance. Jesus said that's not the intent. Here's what Jesus said. Mark chapter 2 and verse 27. We've had a lot of passages from the Old Testament. Is this a New Testament thing? Jesus said this. He said to them, Mark 2.27, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's not, 
I got to do this. I'm, I'm creating this day. I got to do this. This is God's gift. That's what he says. I mean, God, in his infinite knowledge, put out seven days. And I mentioned when I talked about this before, I mean, if we really want to interpret the word day as a 24-hour time period, then what do we do with that last day? <laughs> you know, they say, well, I can give a couple hours. I'm going to try a couple hours, but 24 hours? you kidding me? I think we should start small. shouldn't start with 24 hours. That's, that's like saying, go run a marathon. We can't do that. Some of us would die if we did it. Some of us would, would falter and, and spiritually be hurt if we just started to whack out 24 hours and started doing it. Start small. But this was a gift. This is a gift God is giving to you. If God created this gift for you, why wouldn't you take it? I know some of us probably would say, I'm good. I'm good with my life. I'm not, I'm not short-circuiting. I'm not burning out. I'm good. But I mean, think about it. Is this something God wants you to have? Is the Sabbath for today? I referred to this earlier. I will not cover this again. But the Sabbath day as it was to Jewish people, is not binding on people today. The first day of the week, which is Sunday, according to the Scriptures, is the day that we celebrate Christ's resurrection. Acts 20 and verse 7, if you need some passages, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10. Is the Sabbath for today? Let me ask you a couple questions. If the Sabbath is not for today, if that principle is not for today, then why in the Ten Commandments is that one item the one that we single out that we don't have to do? I mean, I don't think anybody here is arguing we shouldn't be idolaters, we shouldn't commit adultery, we shouldn't murder, we shouldn't steal. I don't think anybody's saying that's not for today. So why would we look at that command, which is extensive in the, the Ten Commandments, and why would we say, well, that's not for today? I think that principle is for today. Reason, another reason it is for today, the principle, is that it is more than ceremonial. It's more than just God teaching them for Jewish people who didn't have a Bible. Listen to this, Deuteronomy 5 and verse 15. You shall remember you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and your, the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Part of that worship and delight was remembering the freedom that God was leading them into. If they had that remembrance, how much more do we? to cultivate our freedom in Christ and to have time to think and nurture that and cultivate that. I think for many of us it's time. I mean, I know that that's what I would argue. It's just time. I'm busy, you know, second job on the weekend, kids. I mean, any number of legitimate things that we've got in our lives, all right, we have been formed in a certain way that our lives are structured the way they are. I mean, it's kind of like our cell phones in the sense that our phones are forming us. 
Now, you can decide that you're just not going to have a phone, but for the majority of the society for a very long time, that's going to be the way that people operate. So we're going to have to think differently about that technology so that we are not just totally formed by our phones. We're going to have to think differently about how we are being formed by our culture so as to live an intentional Christian life. But, but I, I wonder if it's another issue with some of us. I wonder if it's a submission issue. Now, hold on with me for a second and don't, don't like argue against this immediately. We have to submit to our culture in certain ways. We, we wear their clothes. We speak the language. We are doing certain practices to be healthy and so forth. I mean, so we are creatures of our culture. There's no way that we can say, I am a completely against my culture. We're not. God made us to live within cultures. There's wonderful things to celebrate about cultures, food and various things like that. But our culture, which we'll see in this next point, has shaped us in ways healthy and not healthy. So we have submitted to that. We have, we have in ways, even a passive way, we've submitted to that. Are we willing to acknowledge that my submission to God needs to be greater than my submission to my culture. Now, I think on the outside, we'd all say yes. This was a critical piece in my own mind and heart that I had to come to. There's a certain pastoral culture, a church culture, those things that I feel like I had submitted to that shaped me in healthy and unhealthy ways, some of those ways that I had imposed upon myself that people were not imposing on me, I had imposed on myself, that I had been formed by that, and then when I came to a point of being confronted with that, will I submit to God's culture more than the one that I have been submitting to, even in my own mind? So if that's true of ministers, could that not be true of you as well? That if, if ministers can submit to unhealthy elements of their culture, then I think we can, and we're supposed to be doing spiritual work, not that you're doing unspiritual work, but I'm just trying to make an illustration that I wonder who we actually are submitting to. Even when I answer questions about how busy I am, or I'm needed, or if I don't do that, they'll be upset, or blah, 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 blah. Who am I submitting to? Who are you submitting to? And I wonder if some of us, it's not just a once and done, okay, I guess I'll submit to God, but I wonder if it's, if it's Romans 12, 1 and 2, regularly, by the mercies of God, I present my body. I need to present my body and to think about that. Let me talk for a couple moments about how work has changed. This is just purely interest, but it's, I think, nonetheless helpful. In 1820, there were 72% of the people in the United States of America in 1820 were what? What occupation were those people? Farmers. Today, farmers comprise 1.3% of the population in the United States. Now, what does that have to do? And I'm not suggesting we all go back to agrarian farming communities. Some of you would be okay with that. Some of us would not survive having to go out and, you know, milk to, to get milk, 
You know, I mean, it would just be, I mean, it sounds really romantic when you watch shows and stuff of people, but it would probably kill some of us. There is something that happened between 1820 and today that's very significant to this, and that's the Industrial Revolution. I want you to think about this. Farmers were subject to natural limits. They had to submit to daylight and nighttime. They had to. They had to submit to seasons. They had to flex with the rain and the sun. They had to adjust to these things. They had to be in submission to these things for how they operated themselves in their lives. So 72% of the population, and even the other percentage of the population, still, even if they worked indoors, had to think about these things. With the Industrial Revolution came a significant ability to push against that. So what you could do now is you could plan to harvest even in the winter. So with your product, you could harvest things even in the winter. With the the invention of the light bulb, we don't even have to submit to the limits of night anymore. With the computer and the cell phone, now we don't even have to submit to the limits of the office anymore. Do you see how all of these limits... And the the limits are going to have to be self-imposed because we can push against all of these things, whereas the farmer couldn't do that. Those of you who are young, teenagers and and, and young people and, and young adults in here, you have a life virtually of no limits. We should at least, those of us who are older, and if we don't quite understand this the way that we, we would like to, we should at least look at with compassion on these younger generations to know if they do not grasp hold of biblical principles of limits, they are going to be affected in how they love God and how they love others because it is going to be 24-7 for them. There is a, a big gorilla that was added to all these things. Very, very positive after World War II in terms of the, the, the energy in the United States of America and the freedoms that were purchased and all of those things are wonderful and nobody would want it any different. But something crept into that and that was productivity. Productivity. Productivity is good. We don't want to be non-productive. We want to be productive. But productivity has a dark side to it, and that is how much is enough? How much clothing is enough? How much house is enough? How much salary is enough? How much free time is enough? How much work is enough? And some of you are under that right now. How much work is enough? Take with this how people measured time. Somewhere in in our history books, we talked about the... um, Sundial. I don't even know when that came in. Sundial helped us to measure time. Nobody, I mean, I'm nobody, I've never had to send somebody out to look at our sundial to tell me when to stop preaching. All I got to do, boom, right there on the wrist. Here's what one guy said about the clock. The clock changed all of that. It created artificial time, the slog of the 9 to 5 all year long. We stopped listening to our bodies, started rising when our alarms droned their oppressive siren. Not when our bodies were done resting, we became more efficient, yes, but also more machine and less human being. I'm going to give you a statistic that I can hardly believe. And I I fact-checked it, and I read some stuff about it, 
before 1879, people slept an average of 11 hours a night. Now, there's a few teenagers right now who are like, what, what, what's up with that? It's no big deal. <laughs> Do you know what would happen if I tried to sleep 11 hours a night? At about hour six, there would be the alarm in my head that it is time to get coffee or my head will punish me for the rest of the day. I mean, there's... I'm not even going to have you raise your hand if you can do that. The year 1879 is significant because that's when Edison created the light bulb. This is so fascinating to me. Thomas Edison saw no problem with disrupting sleep rhythms. He actually saw the light bulb as a form of nurture and believed all one had to do was, quote, this is a quote from Thomas Edison, put an undeveloped human being into an environment where there is artificial light and he will improve. I, the Part of that that's interesting to me is what is an undeveloped human being? To me, that's a, a human being without coffee. You know, put a human being into that. Listen, you put a human being into artificial light and he will improve? Combined with his light bulb, Edison's idea that sleep was a sign of laziness, he believed that, refashioned the way the world worked. comes from an article or a book called Dreamland. Our work has changed. It is forming us. I mean, we cannot deny that. So in conclusion, we need to work at resisting. This isn't a matter of, yeah, you know, I just need to try harder and stuff. What I'm saying is, if you're going to practice this principle, you're going to have to work at it. So here are just some basic thoughts. We have to press back. Number one, you have to decide. I, I believe that you are going to have to decide you're going to do this. There, there is typically, in people that I've talked with, a decision. It's not, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, I have decided I am going to give thought to this because, not because the pastor said, not because we're staff, it's because I see this is how I was made. This is how God made things. And so for that reason alone, I'm going to decide. And then begin to internalize it for yourself. Get a hold of some books like The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by Comer, Soul Rest by Curtis Zachary, The Common Rule by Justin Early, podcasts that we've, we've recommended. Listen, just start, start developing your own thoughts about this. Number two, plan. Don't start with 24 hours. Start with, start with okay, I've got, a, I've got time here and I'm going to carve out an hour. But don't let it end there. Push, push, plan. Number three, do it. Got to do it. You got to put it in implementation. Number uh, four, evaluate. Some people have talked about trying to do this and then it's just, it goes bad. 
It's just kind of like, well, you know, I try to do it, and then you know, I was out, and I was listening to a podcast. I was trying to walk, like Campbell said, and then my boss sent me an email, and then I get an email, and then I'm thinking about that, and the whole thing was shot. I heard somebody say this, that practicing Sabbath rest, is, if we think of it like Christmas, so it's, it's like this thing to look forward to, and you, you know, it's Christmas, and you really want to try to plan, you got to plan Christmas, man. But if it comes, and somebody's sick, and you can't have the meal, you don't just say, we're not doing Christmas again. That stinks. No, you, you plan again, and you try it again. So it may not go like you want it to, but evaluate. Number five, do it again. And number six, learn from others. I believe we need to create a culture within this church where people ask one another, hey, man, and it'll be seem awkward because it's not part of our, our dialogue. I mean, we, you know what? If you got in a conversation with somebody in the back, it's like, how did work go this week? Yeah, man, I put in 90 hours. I mean, that's kind of like, well, I mean, how does that feel? I mean, you kind of feel kind of bad for the guy, but you're kind of like, ooh, Mr. Productivity, that's awesome. It's good for you. I want to hang with people like that. But getting with somebody that's like, hey, I put in 90 hours, but I also jacked my family, and I'm just suffering under this. Wait, you know what? Have you taken a walk? You want to do that? That's going to seem so radically weird. It's going to seem so like outside the box. But what if it saved you? What if it saved you to have a healthy mind and life and began you down a trajectory where you didn't look back at age 65 and wish you'd done something at 42? What if we had a church that worked hard at delighting in God? I'm not saying we don't. I'm just saying practicing this. And I mean, this was a regular rhythm being worked into people's lives. And we worked hard. The energy that would come in here of people who are already spending time in worship, not only with their regular lives, but pulling apart a day that they're able to stop and rest and delight in worship. And the energy and the passion that would come into this room. And again, I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying what could be. Shall we pray? Father, give us hearts to be formed by you. I believe these people here and those on live stream are desirous of that. I pray that we would be able to stop and rest, even in our own minds, and to practice and create a culture of talking to one another about this. Lord, we need your help to break down barriers, to reform our our daily lives. Lord, there's so many things that that we, we need your help with, but I pray above all, we would have Jesus and we would learn to love Jesus more and to glorify you and to raise up the supremacy of God in this place by delighting in Christ with our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.